Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a programmer turned CTO who's involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as with a variety of oil and gas software firms in various development and leadership capacities. So now I'm going to hand the microphone over to Adam as he has a conversation with Nick Beek. Take it away, Adam. Thanks, Al. Today on the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, I'm speaking with Nick Beek, the founder and CEO of Helsim. Um, for those not aware, it's a budding local fintech company. Uh, so Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, you've started this tech company in Calgary and, uh, things are doing very well as of late, but how did it all start and how, when, where did you kind of come from? Um, all right. So I was born in 85. No, we, we don't have to go that far back. Um, the, I moved to Calgary, uh, in 96, originally from Montreal. Uh, and you know, I, I, one of my first jobs is actually working at a local store called memory express. You know, a lot of, a lot of people know it in, in the tech community. Um, I actually came to them, it was, you know, last year of high school, I was in web design and, and I came to them and they had a static website at the time. So it was, um, you know, there was no e-commerce. It was just a pretty bad website with a couple products in their, their store hours. And I said like, you're, you know, I can make you an e-commerce website, you know, can I, can I get a contract to do that? And he's like, okay, what instead, this was one of the, the, the brothers that, that, that ran it. Um, why don't we just hire you? You can work here in the afternoons. You don't go to go to school in the morning and build our, our website. Um, and that's how I started eight bucks an hour at memory express basement. Um, that was the, the kind of first real gig. Nice. I remember that really ugly yellow website they had back in the day. Yeah. So that's the one that I criticized to try to get the job. And, and so we, um, me and a few people there built the first, uh, their first, you know, they, there's a configurator. So you could, if you choose a chipset, it would only work with this type of memory and, you know, online checkout and all that stuff. And, uh, that, that's how it started. But fast forward later, um, I started Helsum, uh, when I was 23. Um, and essentially it, it, it came from some of that experience where at the time there really was, there's kind of like PayPal and Moneris and it wasn't so great about what, what the payment scene was like. And we thought, Hey, maybe there'd be a, an opportunity to, to build something better. And that's where the idea came from. Uh, right. Yeah. No, I remember back in those years, uh, online payment processing was very much, uh, immature, nothing like it is today. So any, anyone who had some kind of offering was, you know, people didn't have a lot of places to choose from. Right. Yeah. And the banks would make you sign up. Like even if, you know, th th at the time they would make you give you a big upfront deposit just to, just to have the privilege of accepting credit cards. Like it was, it was very different the way they, they looked at the service. Yeah. So, um, Helsum itself. So yeah, we kind of covered it a little bit there, but why don't we just go and give us a brief overview of what the company does, the services that you provide kind of in layman's terms. Sure. So, I mean, we're at our core, we're a payments company. So, uh, we service mostly small, medium sized businesses that are looking to accept 
uh, car payments. And we, we can, we compete with two groups of companies. So you have kind of the traditional processors on one side. So that's going to be your, your Moneris and Chase and TD Bank and things like that. And then we compete with the Silicon Valley providers. So, uh, Square, Stripe, PayPal. Um, and we, we kind of have a, a foot in both worlds. We try to, we, we think of ourselves certainly as, as being the best of both worlds. So we have, um, you know, these really nice, uh, online platforms, you know, online tools, invoicing, um, point of sales and things like that, um, that the banks traditionally don't offer, but we also offer, um, you know, next day deposits and lower rates that, uh, you know, it's nice to go, you know, when you get those Silicon Valley tools, the problem is that it, you're kind of paying for it with that, that 2.9% gets pretty old after a while. Um, so that's where we've been able to successfully grow is, is kind of offering the best, best of both worlds. And we're looking to grow that even more. So, yeah. And you're providing, um, you know, point of sale payment providers for a lot, a lot of companies in Alberta then in addition to the online. Yeah. Side. So we service, uh, about 7,000 companies across Canada and the U S about 900 are in Alberta. Um, we, you're going to see us less in, you know, there's, there's some going to be some restaurants and things like that with us, but you're going to see us more in, uh, the healthcare space. So, you know, dentist office, veterinarians. Um, and then we have a, we have a lot of merchants in the kind of wholesale space, which is kind of like this, um, I would say maybe less sexy than say, a uh, e-commerce store selling t-shirts. That's really, you know, easy to photograph and easy to, to, to talk about in the press. Uh, we deal more with B2B e-commerce and wholesale and things like that, that, uh, uh, come less to people's mind right away, but, but there's, uh, tons of industry there and tons of, of, of payment volume. Okay, cool. And so the background of Helsum then, um, you know, what triggered you to start it? Why did you kind of really, what, what motivated you initially? I mean, so like I said earlier, that the, the there wasn't much at the time and we really thought, Hey, there's, there's an opportunity here. And we, you know, um, I came from a, uh, kind of web design and we, you know, you know, custom coding and things like that. And kind of got tired of chasing the hours in terms of, you know, you, you do really well month, month, but then the next month you're like, okay, well, projects are starting from scratch. And, you know, it's really like, you know, you're, you're working for your time and, you know, we saw an opportunity here and I thought, okay, maybe there's a way for us to be able to, to grow a business where if you add 10 customers for the month, you know, as long as you're keeping them happy and keeping the servers up, you've got those 10 customers and the next 10 that you had next month, now you've got 20 and it kind of compounds that way. Um, and, and we really want to be in the payment space. So went that way. Um, and the, in relation to the other Bay parent providers like Stripe and those Valley players that you talked about, um, how do you, where do you guys sit in relation to them, you know, um, in, in terms of the marketplace? You know, I know obviously you're based in Canada, so that's got to be a heavy part of the market, but also, you know, the U S is huge. So kind of where do you fit into the, into that space? So the biggest disadvantage we had on, um, for, for a while, and that's just recently changed was our sign up. So, you know, I used to say, I used to go to customers and say, look, you're going to get, um, you're going to get better pricing and better experience, uh, with us. You know, we're really proud of our, of our platform or software, but, uh, the sign up process is going to be a little bit more, uh, quote unquote traditional. So, you know, paperwork, signatures, things like that. It takes a few business days to get approved. And that's because we were backed by a bank. So, uh, when somebody signed up with us, we had to kind of fill out the paperwork and give it to a bank partner 
that would actually underwrite the business and handle the financial side. And then we would come in with the technology. Um, so that was always our barrier to growth. So we, ser- we were still able to build a successful business because we were so strong with uh, the other aspects of it, but it really was a, a limiting factor. So three years ago, we went down on a journey to become something known as a payment facilitator, which is a special kind of class of, of, of payments company with Visa MasterCard. And essentially it's where we handle everything. So we handle the underwriting, the risk, the settlements, the anti-money laundry, terrorist watch list, like just everything is our opportunity and our problem. <laughs> um, and so that was a, a huge, we got to a size where we could start handling that. And that was a huge journey for us. Um, you know, part of that process, we went from being 20 staff members, members to 60 staff members. Cause part of that was just needing the people to build all those systems. Um, and, and we actually relaunched our service about two months ago now. Uh, and it's been going fantastic. So, um, it's still the great payments company with that great, uh, customer service and low rates, but now we get to really compete with the Silicon Valley providers with on instant signup. You know, people come to our website now and they can, you know, you know, name, address, some basic information, and then you're instantly set up and ready to accept payments. And that was always our Achilles heel and it long, no longer is. So now uh, our big focus is making sure that we iron out our processes that we're ready for scale. And over the coming months, um, we're going to start turning up, turning up the volume into uh, uh, really growing the, the awareness of our company in the market. Yeah, that's fantastic. So kind of that, I don't know if it's really a pivot, but a uh enhancement to your offering now is, is cause your business to really grow, right? You're hiring like crazy and, and your customer base, uh, customer base continues to grow. I assume week over week or at least month over month. Yeah. Just from, even from, uh, you know, we were already a growing company, uh, but from this, this, uh, yeah, enhancement or relaunch of our, our, our financial service, uh, we've tripled our, our signups, uh, just in the past two months from that relaunch. And, um, we're, we've got some, some big expectations for ourselves in the, in the coming years. Yeah, that's great for a uh, Calgary, Alberta-based company. That makes me happy to hear. Uh, you guys are growing like that. It's really good news because there's not a lot of good news around us at the moment. Yeah, and we're, we're hoping that, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, a proponent for uh, Calgary Tech. And I think that what Calgary Tech needs is a few kind of key anchor tenants, right? And we think that we could be one of those companies, especially since some of the bigger firms in town, which have done a, a fantastic job, like the, the Soliums or the Benevides, right? Uh, they're, they're becoming quite big of companies, but the problem is that they deal mostly with enterprise clients. So on a day-to-day basis, most, most average Albertans don't deal with those companies. So they don't see them in their lives, right? Versus a company like ours, because we deal with small, medium-sized businesses, you can go to your local grocery store, local restaurant and, and interact with, with our company, there's just more visibility. Um, so we're hoping that, uh, with the, the growth ambitions that we have, we're going to become one of those anchor tenants in Calgary that people can point to and be like, you know, what, what, what kind of tech is in Calgary? And you can go like, Oh, Halsum's in Calgary. And that's what we're hoping to, to become. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you guys also have a very unique, um, background in terms of actual funding. You're as I understand, you're 100% bootstrapped. You've raised no outside capital at all. Um, so talk about that a little bit. That's that's pretty unique. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, we just like pain, I guess. Um, <laughs> the uh, I think it, it came from, it, it wasn't a choice originally. It came from a necessity where, you know, the business was started over 12 years ago. At the time, you know, startups and funding, it, it might have been a thing in Silicon Valley, but it certainly wasn't in Calgary, Alberta. You, you started a small business, you would... Uh, you, you know, try to get your next customer, try to figure out how to get your, grow your payroll a little bit. 
Um, and, and we just built the company from that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it took a while to kind of hit our stride and, and, you know, to give scale of things about, um, five years ago, there was two of us and now there's 60. So, so it, it, you know, it took a long time to, to get there. Uh, but now that we're in a position where we are growing with our own resources and, and it's not a barrier to our growth, um, we're a whole lot more reluctant to, um, bring in outside capital, um, because it's really allowed us to, to be more in control. Yeah. So it definitely gets, it's given you a huge advantage now. Um, would you say it's kind of, yeah, you kind of alluded to a little bit, would you say kind of it's delayed the growth of the company? Like you, you know, you could have maybe gone and sought, got out, uh, some funding somewhere and boosted the acceleration of the product a year or two ahead of schedule. Or what do you think about that? That's a tough one because the, the reality is that part of that, that, that length of time that it took to, to find ourselves, I guess, uh, in the process, um, those were money might not have, it might've accelerated that learning process, but I don't know if it would have necessarily solved it. Like when you start a business and when you're 23 years old, there's a whole lot of things that you need to learn. Um, you, but yeah, and you don't, when you start at that age, you don't have resources, you don't have experience, you don't have money, but you do have time. Right. So, um, I don't know if I would go back to, to myself at that age and, and recommend raising a whole lot of capital. Cause I don't know if I would have learned the same lessons, right. Um, doing it again now, knowing what I know now, if I were to you know start another business, I think that'd be a different scenario where I can see a much clearer path of utilizing, you know, capital in the right way. But, um, I think there's something to be said in terms of like, you know, when you see really young people start businesses and they, they get into this mindset now that you need to raise, you need to raise the only pathway. And it's kind of, you know, is money really what's getting in your way or is there just a whole lot of lessons you got to learn first uh, to do that? And when you're younger, um, that now is, is the time to, to learn those lessons. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. And what about on the side of government programs and grants? Is there anything that you've been able to take advantage of over the years or any, any kind of that? Group that so worked. to uh, to my shame, I only discovered Shred like three years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> you're laughing. Everybody laughs when they're like, "Oh, you're the terrible." There are some of those lessons, you know, to learn along the way. Um, so you know, we've certainly been taking advantage of, of Shred recently. I really wish that the uh, the Alberta government hadn't gotten rid of the Alberta portion. I think that's that's um, that's. I mean, it's a disadvantage to the province for no reason. You can go to any other province across the country and. And 30% of the shred is supported by, by the province. Um, but, uh, outside of that, we're, we're having some conversations with IRAP. That's a new program to us. And, and we're starting to build the, 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 the relationships there. Um, but we, it's weird. Once you, once you get into the bootstrap mindset and your things are working, you start having less of a focus. If, if money is not the, the primary reason why you're not hiring or why you're not growing and you're, you know, your things are going well and other things are functioning. Um, it's hard to go back to raising capital, whether you're doing it through government programs or you're doing it through investors is a gigantic time suck. Um, and when you haven't kind of lived through that and then you start going down that path, you go like, Oh wow. Like it, it's, it's unbelievable how much time it can take. And you really have to weigh, you know, what is the return that I'm getting for that time? Is there a way for us to try to do that on our own without, you know, with more focus. Yeah. And it's interesting. You're not the first person I've heard, uh, make the comment about the shred program in Alberta, but as I understand, there's some new programs being issued out now, but those are really only triggered by COVID, not necessarily for any other reason. So yeah, and the thing too, with, you know, I, I, 
I mean, it really feels like the Alberta government just kind of relabeled, you know, they, they, they took it away because they didn't like the fact that it was a different government that, that was supporting originally. Now that they're, they're bringing it back, I would say it's, there's still some details, uh, that aren't there, but it seems like it's like the same programs, but light, you know, <laughs> less calories, uh, but now rebranded to them, um, which the problem is that when you go, even something like shred, you know, a lot of people are familiar with shred. It's a lot of work to first understand shred, how to do it right, how to do your your logs and how, what applies, what doesn't apply. There's a learning process to it. And it takes a lot of, of resources internally to to get, I wouldn't say get good at it, but but understand how to properly utilize it and navigate it. And when you take that away and say, okay, well, no, we'll bring it back, but it'll be actually this thing and it'll be a little bit different, stuff like that. You're asking, not only are you creating a, a gap in funding, but you're also asking um, people to relearn something new. And and that's asking a lot. So I'm curious to see what will will happen with that. Yeah, I hope they make it as simple as possible because we need we don't need more red tape right now. And we, are, we already have enough problems as it is in this province. So um Cool. Thanks for that insight. And then, um, you did alluded to a little bit earlier, um, around, you know, the fact that you're a financial company, there's a lot of stuff There's the buried entry is high, right? People don't just go and build pro payment processing systems and banking companies, um, as often as they do just generic SaaS products. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about, about your compliance and all that. Cause that's a very, um, very unique problem to have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's a tricky one because, I'm a big uh, proponent for open banking. I think that that would really um, help unlock more, uh, giving more access to to everyone's financial transactions and things like that is a good thing. Um, I think that as a as a business owner, it's 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 both good and bad, and in terms of like it having a, a stable financial system is a good thing, and if you uh, open up the floodgates too much. Um, you know, I, you see it a lot in the startup space where people aren't, they, they kind of roll their eyes at some of the regulation, but it is important. Some of it certainly is. Um, we, you know, we're, we're new to some of that, um, the fraud monitoring and the, 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 um, compliances around financial transactions, but we actually caught, uh, somebody trying to sign up with us last week, uh, which turns out once we went through, like, you know, it, it got flagged on a sub list and then it, we went to Interpol and, and finally it was a human trafficker in Pakistan, right? So if we had allowed that person to go through, they would have been, you know, it, it looked like a normal IT business, um, but it wasn't. And it's somebody that's like hugely destructive uh, to humanity, right? And so there's a reason why some of that stuff is in there. So it's both it's both good and bad in terms of um, it does slow things down. And there's certainly a lot of resistance, resistance from incumbent banks, which is not good for competition and not good for the ecosystem. Um, but some of that, that regulation. So when I talk about regulation, you have uh, KYC. So that's kind of know your customer and, and be able to verify the people that are doing business with you and sign up for your service. You have anti-money laundry to make sure to people. So that would be an example of that uh, human trafficking where people are, are actually uh, using the service for something that's unattended. Um, you have, um, you have things like, uh, OFAC and terrorist watch list and fraud monitoring. And there's just a whole lot of headache that comes with, um, financial services. Um, but you have to, you know, if you can, if you can take it seriously and convince, uh, 
your bank partners or whoever you need to get into the service that you're getting into, that you're taking it seriously, that you're going to do a good job at it and you understand the seriousness of it um, and why it's there, then um, there's huge opportunities in the financial space, right? So I think that that my advice to people that are thinking getting into the space is, is don't roll your eyes at, there's a little bit too much of cowboy into, they think, oh, we're, we're, gonna completely, we're gonna blow up the bank system and rebuild something from scratch. And, and while I'm certainly no fan of the incumbent banks, um, y- there's a certain amount of regulation that's there for a purpose. And, and um, I think that in terms of the reality is that you trying to come to this industry and coming to the scene, um, you can't just be seen as the cowboy. You're not going to make friends in the banking industry and they're not going to open up the doors that they need to open for you. So if you come with a better attitude, which is like, I'm going to be, there's some things I don't agree with, you know, it might be anti-competitive or, you know, just trying to preserve the, the incumbents, but some things that are there for a reason, I'm going to, um, you know, take those things seriously. You're going to find that doors open up a lot more to you for building those kind of relationships you need to build. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess there's two sides to right. I mean, if I'm, uh, if I'm a business and I'm using a payment processing system like this, I want very stringent controls. Um, if I'm a consumer, I look at it a little bit differently. You know, I actually have opened bank accounts in the UK previously. I still have bank accounts there and the way the banking is in Europe is much more free. It's much more open. Uh, you know, the Canadian banks, they feel a little bit like dinosaurs when, when you know, a lot of the stuff, but you know, on behind the scenes, we have a amazing fundamentals in this country. And, you know, maybe it's there for a reason. As I said, as a business owner, you want that super stringent stuff and catching the, the example you just gave of the human trafficking, you know, there's no way we want that to go unchecked. So. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a balance, right? So, um, there's a, there's a bank I won't name, but if you do a, a quick Google search for it in the UK, that's one of the big kind of, um, new banks rising kind of neo banks, they call them, right. Uh, where they got caught in their hand with a cookie jar where they, um, they turned off all AML verifications on signups and it was all under the guise of it's getting in a way of growth. Right. And like, that's that Silicon Valley attitude that gets, it's just not healthy for, it's not healthy for society. Um, because you know, the example I just gave about, you know, who, who we just caught last week. I mean, how many of those slipped through the cracks for theirs just for the sake of pure growth. Right. So that's the, that's the, the stuff that's too far, but, um, I completely agree with you that the Canadian banks are just a, um, they're just dinosaurs that just, I mean, what, what are your options right now? You're just like, I get to choose the blue one or the green one or the yellow one. Like that's, they're all the same thing and they, they're really not bringing value to, to most customers. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you can, much more that you can do and, you know, change over time. And I know there's, there's a local FinTech company here in Calgary that's, that's working on getting that improved. And hopefully over time we can kind of get them to open up and adopt the more open banking standards. But, you know, again, as, as we said, the, the compliance is pretty critical as well for a sound business and fundamentals. So, um, yeah, well, that's, that's cool. And so, um, you've, you know, hired quite a few people recently. It's grown. You were recording this from your office is a really nice new space, downtown Calgary. It's pretty cool. Um, so talk about the startup culture here at your company and what it's like to, you know, bring people in and keep, and keep people engaged and how that's I going. I think that, um, I think that there, there's lots of, you know, you always hear the story about it's hard to find um, experienced talent in Calgary. And I think that there's, there's a truth to that. I think it's going to be another like five or 10 years before 
that kind of next generation of people going through the startup scene right now are going to have all that that experience um, uh, so to feel like there's an like a mature ecosystem. But in terms of the um, the the f- kind of young grads and fresh grads that are you know we have some really strong schools in Calgary. Uh, we're particular fans of SAIT and and some of their programs, including their their object oriented uh, programming you know two year course. Um, so it's, as long as the companies are willing to invest into training the talent, um, I think that there's, you don't have a shortage of candidates. If you're looking for somebody that has like eight years of database cluster space or like intense iOS development or things like that, yeah, that's harder to find in Calgary. But if you're looking for somebody that's, that's young and like ready to learn and you're gonna have to invest, you know, three, six months into them, but they're going to be really thankful for that investment. Um, you just have to change the way you look at recruitment and your organization. And yes, it'll take you a little bit longer. You know, it's harder to scale up to 500 people in Calgary really fast and just have all this experience. You can't, but, um, in terms of culture, if you're the type of company that is willing to invest into its people and train them, um, you're going to have a lot of residual gratitude from that. And I think that's, you know, we have this amazing retention rate at our company. Um, and, and I think it's part of that because we're just willing to step up and, and train them. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, um, cause I know there's, yeah, people, when there's a shortage of a shortage of talent in a market in any, any market, it's really hard to retain people because all they need is that tiny little extra bump, that bit of incentive to move on to the next project. So if you can make, you know, get people to buy in and really care about what you're doing and, um, uh, it's great, great for you, great for the city and great, you know, great for overall for the business. So, um, I wanted to ask you also about your, your unique DevOps situation. So for those who are not familiar with DevOps, it's basically, you know, your backend, how all your systems are running, um, pretty common speak in the tech world, but you know, as most people know, hosting technical services, software services are almost exclusively now becoming cloud-based services, even, you know, U S military, they're all going cloud-based. Um, Helsum is not cloud-based, uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty unique. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think that comes from partially of our age, right? Because we started, um, before kind of AWS and all those services were really gearing up. Um, and then we, even as a very small company, we had to deal with uh, compliance requirements like PCI DSS compliance, which is um, pretty uh, stringent when you're a service provider. So there wasn't many options. So we we actually um, set up our, you know, we would set up our own stacks and our own servers ourselves. We did co-locations. So we went to like the major providers like Bell and Telus and used their their data centers to actually you know have the where they are physically sitting, so they would meet like physical compliance requirements. Um, but what we did, what we figured out at first, we were buying you know Dell servers right out of their website, um, and that's kind of like that familiar story like 15, 20 years ago, where like all a ton of your costs was like you know for a single server you're looking at a couple thousand bucks to ten thousand bucks, and you're like oh we need five servers to try to set up a database cluster or something like that. And you're, you're just like, Oh wow, the bills are, you know, enormous and upfront. Right. What we figured out pretty quickly is, um, there's these companies, you know, some of them are on eBay and things like that. And some of them are more, more, um, established than others. Right. Um, but that actually takes servers that are, um, 
you know, at the end of their lease, usually it's like two, three year leases. So like the big cloud providers are going to have all this, like the latest, greatest tech, the, the latest Intels and Xeon processors and things like that. And after a couple of years, they just get rid of them and they move on to the next things. But the things that like most of the hardware failure rates are actually within the first year. That's when your hard drives are, 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 you know, pooping out and things like that. And after that, you know, that hardware can run for a long time. And, um, so there's all these providers that actually buy these old, you know, old quote unquote, like they're two year old servers or things like that, um, from these, these main cloud providers. And then they sell them for like five or 10 cents on a dollar. Right. So, um, we've built up, you know, we're running a few hundred servers in, in our two data centers now. And, and, you know, there's only been, there's probably only been about a few hundred thousand dollars invested in hardware from us. Um, but it's, it's just, it's very, uh, you know, we, we were ready to scale to quite a, a, a considerable size. Um, so it's allowed us to, when I talk to entrepreneurs, you know, I, I, I understand where they came from because that's probably where I would have, you know, if I would have started this business today, you know, you certainly would consider Google cloud or AWS, but you hear about some of these Im- like insane monthly bills from those providers, um, versus for us, we really just have our, our kind of electricity bills and co-location costs, which are like, you know, a fraction of the cost. And then we have this, this hardware asset that we can depreciate. Um, so it's, it's, um, I'm glad where we are now in terms of like scaling beyond, um, at a certain amount, it does not scale. Right. Um, what I would see, you know, what, what we're kind of looking for ourselves is having some of our core functionality where we really want to be in full control of that of that hardware um, in-house and then having some of our web services more in the cloud over time. But right now we know we can scale for a while. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I guess you've obviously done, done the, the math on cost effectiveness. Um, and right now you're, you're on the right side of things. Yeah. We're feeling pretty happy about our, our uh, much smaller bills than AWS every month. So. Okay, cool. Um, something I wanted to go back to you mentioned earlier about the uh, compliance and uh, you detected some some human traffickers through an Interpol. Um, I've not ever spoken to anyone who's done data integrations with Interpol. So let's let's hear a little bit about that. Scrapers. Um, so so that's that's so if you um, I remind my I, I remind my team um, when they're you know whenever you're working on top of legacy systems. So that's either legacy bank systems, which we work on top of continuously because Visa Mastercard and the whole system is on top of banks, right? Um, so, you know, our bank partners are not as, um, tech forward <laughs> as we are. So you're constantly dealing with like, it's not even SFTPs. It's like FTP over SSL or old, old formats, you know, JSON. Every time we run into something that's JSON, we're so happy because it's usually just an old XML or CSV or batch base or things like that. And essentially it's all these, um, it's all that legacy, um, you know, interface and same thing with government systems. So there's very little, there's very little, uh, uh, APIs and things like that. But, but, you know, the Kenyan government, for example, will release, um, a CSV or an Excel sheet that's very poorly formatted once a week with some updated names, uh, on, on watch lists. And same thing, there's, there'll be PDFs out of Europe with, with, you know, you know, watch lists and things like that. Right. And then our job as part of, um, you know, as part of us wanting to turn everything into be able to be turnkey and scalable and things like that, um, is to scrape that data, take that data and turn it into something 
functional. And whenever our team is frustrating about <laughs> some of those processes, um, I remind them that that is, uh, in terms of being a fintech, that's what you're doing, right? Like, so in terms of um, people, clients are coming to you because you have those very smooth turnkey solutions. And then your job is to be that, that, um, that buffer to shield them from, uh, from that legacy. But unfortunately it's a lot of scraping and a lot of things like but that. But it's all publicly accessible data. You're not brokering deals for access to, you know, international data sets and things like that. For, for those ones, no, um, for, uh, we have as part of our transition, we, uh, we did partner with a few data providers, um, including, you know, TransUnion, Equifax, LexisNexis, and some other data, um, for us to be able to meet some of our compliance uh, checks. Um, some stuff is available, some stuff you can scrape, some stuff you gotta go through data providers to okay. go get it. Right on. Well, thanks for the insight there. That's interesting. It's yeah, not a, as I said, you know, along with the compliance and financial barrier at entry is high. And there's just one more reason why it is because you've got to go do all that extra legwork to get that. It's not a, it's not a quick little web API that some services post and you can just get all the data that you need for your products. So. I, I, I have yet to meet a banking partner that really, um, has a true API. Yeah. I mean, it's just like they non get Canada. Yeah. Certainly non Canada. And even, even in, even in the States and stuff, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty archaic. Everything looks like it's, I know it's probably all running like Cobalt or things like that in the background, but it's, mm. uh, uh, it looks like all the interfaces were from 1996. Right. So. That's crazy. Um, so let's talk a bit about your recent food delivery MVP. Uh, I saw a little bit of a splash about that and, um, checked it out the site. It looks pretty cool. So talk about, you know, why you did it how you did it and what's going on. Yeah. So, uh, essentially we, when COVID hit and, um, we saw everything happen, we saw what was happening to our restaurant partners. Um, you know, we, we service a few hundred restaurants, uh, throughout the country and, they're just getting, you know, the, the food delivery apps, well, um, you know, at least it created some volume for, for those partners, right. You know, the, they're, you know, you're, you're hearing all the stories of uh, stories of them taking 20%, 30%, uh, sometimes even 40%. They're keeping the tips. Um, I mean, it's just, you can't run, you can't run a business like that, right? Like it's just, it just takes all any kind of, 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 um, revenue that a restaurant could have made is, is now gone. And, um, so we were seeing our partners getting squeezed, uh, really bad. And we, we, we kind of sat there going, what could we do? And we already had an e-commerce platform. So it's a, it's a, uh, say a similar product to say a Shopify. Um, it, it's more, uh, concentrated to just really be kind of like a turnkey shopping cart, but it didn't handle food. Uh, food is, you know, food has, you know, you have add-ons, you have all this kind of checkout complexity that's a little bit different in the experience that people expect. And we looked at ourselves as, could we create a module that allows our partners to, and our merchants to uh, be able to accept food online um, through this platform? And while it might not replace all the deliveries, um, they're already, you're, you know, you're already seeing restaurants trying to encourage people to come pick up, but then their phone lines get clogged up. Right. So, and it's not the same experience as that, that app. Right. So, um, we got five of our developers together and, uh, we coded like crazy for 30 days, like truly just, I mean, I, you know, everybody was stuck at home anyway. So what else are you going to do? Um, and, and we released a food ordering module to our e-commerce. Um, and it's been going really well. We, uh, 
we've been rolling it out in, in restaurants and essentially it's what the main pitch to it has been. You don't have to, it's not going to take away from all the, the, the food delivery, but it's going to create this really great experience for pickup. And you're going to get, you know, the only thing we charge is our, is our, you know, payment processing fees, which are lower than, than, than what people are used to in the first place. because that's part of what we offer. Um, and then you get to keep the whole thing. So you get to keep, there's no kind of delivery app fee or anything like that. The tips are yours because your, your staff and are working really hard for those tips and they should be yours. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we've, we've gotten a lot of grace response from it and we're pretty, it's, it's kind of like a feel good moment. At least we were able to do something with everything going on. Yeah. That's great. Good for you guys. And so it's actively servicing restaurants around Canada at the moment. Yep. Yep. And we're, we're rolling out too. So we actually, uh, we piloted originally with, uh, Kenjo Sushi, um, one of our, of our longtime, uh, customer and, uh, they rolled out to all their six locations in Calgary. Uh, it's, it's worked really, really well on, uh, they actually called us, um, uh, on father's day weekend cause it was, they were taking so many orders. They, they were kind of getting worried that, you know, their kitchens were getting overwhelmed, but they managed to, <laughs> to get through it. Nice. They, you know, um, but they, uh, yeah, they, it's, uh, and so now that the pilot went really well, uh, we've been rolling out to other restaurants now. That's great. So are, do you, do you think you'll actually end up taking some market share from like guys like skip the dishes or, or are you kind of in a, your own space? Um, I think it's, I mean, the main thing that those, uh, food ordering marketplaces have is that they're, they have, they have this kind of customer base, right? So they, they, they can direct the traffic to different partners. Right. But I think what happens with restaurants is that over time they go, wait a second, like there's a, there's a, there's a wall garden around my customer data. You know, these are no longer my customers. They're becoming, you know, um, Uber's customers or whichever provider's customers. Um, and I think restaurants are starting with, with this whole thing that happened with COVID, you know, they say it's kind of like an accelerant, right? Like the trends that were already happening have kind of accelerated in terms of consumer behaviors. And I think, I think both retailers and restaurants are kind of waking up going, I, I think I need to control my channels a bit more. I can't just be like, oh, I make lots of money from the walk-in business. And yeah, there's this little kind of side thing for delivery and who cares if I don't make my margin or I don't control my customers or my experience or whatever it is. I think people are realizing like, no, 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 I need to take like multi-channel and omni-channel seriously. And um, that's where we think we're gonna have long-term growth is people going, I want to have an all-in-one experience and I don't wanna give my business away. So I don't think it's, um, we're not, we don't expect people to just instantly switch over. Um, but I think as people start kind of gathering the pieces of what just happened and kind of rebuilding themselves long-term, they're going to start figuring out, no, we need to take every aspect of our, of our channels, uh, seriously and making something that's in-house and that's what we can offer. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, incentive is probably pretty high for those of them that are already using you for payment processing or they don't have to, it's not a big leap for them to move yeah, on. Yeah, there's no extra there's no extra fees. You just turn it on and start using it, right? Yeah. So they'll why why wouldn't they, right? Unless there's some exceptional reason or they've got some partner deal that they're they're stuck into. So well, that's great. Good for you guys. Um so and just in general, um, kind of general comment, what are you seeing right now as kind of the biggest challenges of being a tech tech entrepreneur in Alberta outside of the obvious COVID is put a bit of a wrench in the works, but, um, what are you, what are you seeing right now? I still think that there's a disconnect between the investment community and, and tech startups. I think that, um, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing some, some movement, which is good, but I think that people, I mean, there's Calgary is a very wealthy city, 
like there's a ton of money out there and and it's a and it's a it's a lot of very wealthy investors that made their money by being entrepreneurs so so they they know what it takes they know um you know they understand risk and i think that the what's holding back some of that is that people like to invest in what they know and what calgary knows is energy right so um i think that there needs to be kind of like increased networking and increased education on um the different metrics and dynamics of you know what it means to invest in a startup right it's a lot of upfront it's a lot of negative cash flow for a while um and i think that if we can keep working in calgary to like make those communities meet um some of those experienced entrepreneurs that have been able to to you know build wealth for themselves and these upcoming startups that are like hungry and dynamic and and willing to make it work and and make those people come to the table um i think that there's a whole lot of stuff that can be unlocked in calgary but i think that's what's holding it back right now um but i'm i'm hopeful that i'll change yeah i think and you're not the only person i've heard make that comment so it's a maybe i don't want to say it's a it's a change that takes a takes a generation but it's getting in that time span from what i can tell um so what's ahead for Helsum then? What's ahead for you? What's ahead for Helsum? What are you looking at for the next couple of years? What are your, what are your big plans and what do you, what are you seeing? So we, uh, we're, we're going on a hiring spree right now. So we're, uh, we're 60 staff. We're going to be, uh, hopefully 85 by the end of the year. Um, so that's, uh, that's quite a lot in terms of, uh, that's, you know, like a 50 X increase, uh, almost on, on our side. And, um, so we're fortunate we just moved into a new office downtown and we've got some space to accommodate more people. Um, and yeah, with, with the immediate success we've seen from this relaunch of our service, um, our main priority, especially this summer, is is just ironing out the processes to make sure we can keep up with the demand. Um, and then we, you're going to see some big campaigns uh, coming out of us. And uh, uh, I mean, we're looking at our, our three-year um growth plans like you know we're, we're hopeful for a 10x and and then go from there fantastic and i hope you i hope you nail it because that's a a great great win for the calgary's tech sector so awesome um well that's that's kind of everything i wanted to chat with you about is there anything else you want to discuss before we wrap it up no that's great i really appreciate your time cool and if people want to learn more about you or learn more about the company um where should we point them to so in terms of the company it's helsum.com that's h-e-l-c-i-m.com um, and then for myself, um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I accept all requests. That's kind of like my, um, uh, my personal kind of mantra for it, which is just like, if you send me a connection request, I will accept it. I will read the messages and, um, I've made a lot of connections from there. Cool. That's, that's also unique. <laughs> that's not, a, not necessarily a common, common thing that people do. So good for you. Cool. Well, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. If you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. 
If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>